As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is The Athletic Football Show. Welcome. The Athletic Football Show. I'm Robert Mays. Joining me today, it is our old friend, Lindsay Jones. Lindsay, how are you doing? I'm great. How are you doing, Robert? Nice to be back I'm here. Good. I am so glad that you're here. Uh, I'm on the road right now. It is that time of year back at training camp. Uh, incredibly excited to be back and having football conversations in person with football people, one of my favorite times of the year. And in order to celebrate that, I wanted to do a show that we've done, I think, probably for the last couple of years, me and you, and it didn't feel right for you not to be a part of it as we did it into this year. I want to talk about the people who have the most at stake as we head into the 2023 NFL season. I always like doing this, just kind of figuring out who the stakeholders are as we get into any conversation. I feel like it was one of the things driven home to me during journalism school. Like anytime you were writing something, it's like, who are the stakeholders? Who? What actually matters here? What is hanging in the balance? And as we embark upon another NFL season, I feel like it's the perfect time to kind of take a step back and identify, all right, who are the eight to 10 people here in the NFL who do have the most at stake as we kind of barrel toward week one? Yeah, and it's hard. I, I always like doing this too, because I feel like it's a good primer for camp. Um, but I will say the thing that I have to try really hard to do is like, you could make an argument for two thirds of the head coaches and two thirds of the quarterbacks in this Correct. league. And um, and a lot of those guys are not going to be on this, on my list here today because Look, we spend a lot of time talking about head coaches and quarterbacks. So I was trying to find, and, and I do have some quarterbacks on my list, but trying hard to come up with maybe some guys who play different positions or, um, you know, just just not everybody who's like the most obvious answers. Although I think we will have some of the the pretty obvious guys <laughs> here so too. Why but. don't you start us off at, at, a, at a spot that I felt like we needed to address as we kicked off this podcast? Yeah, I mean, I look up talking about head coaches. Um, how about Bill Belichick? Uh, you know, I crazy to say that the most accomplished coach in the history of the sport would be one of the guys with the most stake heading into the season. But I think that we have to talk about him here. Yeah, I mean, I think when I when I would kind of go through this list and do this exercise, I, I try to look at like who is at kind of a pivot point or an inflection point in their season, in their career, in their with their legacy. And I think Belichick is at kind of a lot of those things right now. I mean, I think when you like, look, he could no matter what happens today he or this year, he'll be 
the greatest coach of all time, first ballot Hall of Famer, all of those type of things. But what has happened over the last couple of years, and particularly what happened last season, um, has put him and the Patriots at a really, really interesting spot and a place that they have not been in a very, very, very long time. Um, they are not the favorite in the AFC East. They're not the second favorite in the AFC East. They might not even be picked to finish third in the AFC East. Um, and a lot of this is because of Bill Belichick's doing, the roster decisions he's made, the coaching decisions that he's made, and then obviously the um, the moves that the rest of the division and the rest of the AFC has made to kind of catch up and surpass him. So, you know, I just look at this as being a really pivotal year for not, you know, the, the Patriots as a whole, but specifically how we talk and think about Bill Belichick. And, you know, I don't think it's necessarily going to change his overall legacy, but this is a guy who, if things continue to spiral, if the Bill, Bar- Bill O'Brien hire isn't a home run, if Mac Jones continues to regress and doesn't make progress in year three, this is, you know, we're going to be talking about potentially some major changes there. And, you know, that's really hard when you have a guy who's at almost 300 career wins, right? I mean, one of the best coaches of all time. So they're just so interesting to me. And it's a place that's just going to be full of drama week in and week out. And he's going to be at the center of all of it. Tom Curran earlier, I think it was last week, went on Rich Eisen's show and explicitly stated that he thinks that Bill Belichick is on the hot seat. Tom's covered the Patriots for I don't know how long, as long as I've been in this business. I mean, he knows what's going on there. He's around there all the time. So when he says that, it definitely makes me listen a little bit harder. You go back the last couple of years. In 2021, this team spent a shitload in free agency. You know, you're coming off the Tom Brady Super Bowl. I'm sure no one in town was happy about that to watch him walk out the door and see him play the way that he did in Tampa. And they spent so much in free agency that year. They went out and got Matt Judon. They paid those tight ends. They gave Nelson Aguilar that contract that I think we all understood was a mistake, even in the moment. You know, they made the playoffs that year, but I think the results from those signings were pretty underwhelming. You know, Johnny Smith's obviously moved on already and, you know, they've, really pulled back how aggressive they've been in the roster building process overall. It kind of feels like in that first year, it's like, all right, let's, let's go show them. Like, let's go show them what we can do even with, and when Tom's not here after that kind of strange interstitial season in 2020. But after the way that it's gone over the last couple seasons, it kind of feels like Robert Kraft has pulled the reins back a little bit. Where it's like, yeah, you know what, Bill? Why, why don't you take it easy in the amount of money that you're throwing around, the amount of leeway that we're going to give you to kind of put ourselves in a worse position for the future for you to maximize the present? I mean, they're near the bottom of the league in the amount of money that they've spent on this roster. They have a hundred million dollars in cap space heading into next year. You know, they didn't go out and do something like the DeAndre Hopkins signing. They haven't gone out and signed Dalvin Cook, and I don't think that's necessarily an accident. It kind of feels like they're in wait and see mode with how this season is going to go before they decide whether they want to commit or how they want to commit to what the next phase of this franchise looks like. So there's a chance that they get to the end of this year and they're an eight and nine team or seven and 10 team and they finish last in the AFC East. And Robert Kraft looks at Bill and says, you know what, Bill, it's time for you to kick upstairs. You know, we're going to figure out a new way to do this. We're going to have Gerard Mayo step in and be the head coach. Why don't you step in as, as an advisor, you know, as in, in some sort of different leadership position, and we'll figure out what the next step of this looks like. That isn't a crazy thing to imagine. And I think that's what's at stake for Bill Belichick, is him kind of getting to dictate how he wants to leave this position, how he wants to leave the coaching world, and whether or not they nudge him in one direction or the other after this year is over. I mean, I just keep looking at that career wins list two and he's sitting there how many is he back 30 he's at 298 wow don shula uh, is at 328 so 30 wins that's 
that's a bit, right? I mean, you're going to have to coach for a while. And if you're a mediocre team, you say eight wins, seven wins. Does that feel like the ceiling? That kind of to me feels like the ceiling. I, I I mean, I'm I'm fairly down on this team. I'm not like super excited about the Bill O'Brien. Like, yes, he is not Matt Patricia, and that's fantastic. But that bar is so low. And there's a part of me that wishes that Bill Belichick would have gotten more creative. You know, he had the entire league at his disposal uh, to make a hire, and he kind of you know went out and. Did the thing he always does, which is hire somebody that he's familiar with, that has coached there before, that understands the Patriot way, whatever. Um, you know, I look at you. You look around at the the rest of the NFL, and you see, you know, coaches branching out from their trees, and uh, you know, like I, I look at what Frank Reich has done, and we'll see. Who knows how that's going to go in Carolina? Uh, but I'm really inspired by the fact that he didn't just like kind of go with what he knows and like just dig into the past of people that he worked with in India or Philadelphia, that he really tried to like bring in new ideas, knowing that he is a young quarterback that he needs to develop, bring in different minds, different philosophies, different offensive schemes, um, and try to marry that all together where Belichick is like kind of just really sticking to like, this is how I do business. This is what we're going to do. And uh, we'll see. We'll see if he can uh, chip away at that list or it's hard for me to see him bumping up to a front office type of role. I just, it's, I, I it. Well, you can't a, fire him, right? I guess that that's kind of what I no, mean. I don't know if you I mean, can, can fire can, him. Can so you? I don't, I don't think you can. I think you massage it in some way where I, I'm not sure you can fire Bill Belichick after everything that he's done. I'm, I'm pretty sure there has to be a conversation where you work could on the messaging. Torch, and, <laughs> could he torch the building on his way out and go, yeah, I, I, I think you kind of move him up into a box and and have it be the, that that that's how you massage it going out the door. But I beyond the you know the play calling thing, and I'm a little bit more optimistic than you are just based on the ceiling, right? I think this could be one of the best defenses in the league. They have such good defensive personnel, top to bottom. They were really good on defense last year. They've got some young, intriguing pieces on that side of the ball, and their offense, as long as they're not bottom of the barrel, as long as they're not one of the worst offenses in the league like they were last year, can Bill Bryan take them to competency? Can this be the 17th best offense in the league combined with the second best defense? And can that win you 10 games if you get a couple breaks? Maybe, but the division is really, really good, and I just don't think they have the same sort of ceiling that other teams in the division too. And part of that is that they just haven't found the firepower on offense. They spent a first round pick on Nikhil Harry. They spent a second round pick on Tyquan Thornton. They spent all that money on the tight ends that they signed in free agency. They just haven't been able to find those pieces. You look at the weapons that they have, and we're talking about Juju Smith-Schuster, Devontae Parker, Hunter Henry still. They just lack so much juice at those spots, and that's what's going to hold them back. And I think that's part of the reason that you see kind of a gap between them and the other teams in the AFC is that their firepower just looks so much different, and that's the world that they now live in. All right. Speaking of AFC teams and AFC potential contenders, I have two that I think are kind of in a similar position coming into this year, and that's Brandon Staley of the Chargers and Kevin Stefanski, who's the head coach of the Browns. Okay, I think both of these guys kind of underwent a sort of similar offseason. You know, the Chargers made the playoffs last year, the Browns didn't, but both of those guys came into the offseason and fired the coordinator on the other side of the ball. This is a familiar playbook for teams around the league. You know, that's one of those things you have to do when you're falling short of expectations. The Browns defense vastly underachieved the last couple of years, considering some of the talent that they have. And Ken Stefanski said, all right, uh, Joe Woods, thank you very much. I appreciate your time, but we're going to move on and we're going to hire Jim Schwartz. Brandon Staley had Joe Lombardi as his offensive coordinator for the last two years. 
the offense for the Chargers is actually pretty good. The defense is, is what was under below average for the last couple of years. But, you know, Staley told Daniel Popper from the Athletic Today in a, in a piece where he wrote about Kellen Moore and Brandon Staley that just felt like there was another level they needed to reach. So they fire Joe Lombardi, they hire Kellen Moore. And now we're at a place with both of those teams where, all right, if that's not it, then you get to the end of the year and you fall short of the playoffs, you underachieve or are disappointments in the playoffs. If you do eventually get there, then what happens? And I think both of these guys are in pretty similar situations as we get toward the season. Yeah, I mean, th- those are the moves that you make. You, I mean, you're exactly right that you, you switch coordinators when it's not necessarily when you're just trying to save your job, but you're not going to fire yourself, it's part right? Of it. And if you and if you're yes. the guy who calls the plays on that other side of the ball, um, but yeah, you run out of scapegoats pretty quickly. And, you know, I the Chargers defense to me last year was really, really disappointing because, you know, I think there were there were some some games like standalone games. Um, You know, I think about the game that they played against the Dolphins, for example, where you were like, that's why you have Brandon Staley, because when you want somebody to like come up with a one off game plan, shut down a specific scheme like that guy can game plan like just about nobody else in the NFL. Um, but that last year was the chance where we could say, okay, he's going to kind of build the defensive roster that he wants. He's the, his first year, it was kind of not all of his guys. Year two, he was able to kind of make some moves. They got to sign a lot of guys in free agency. They made the Cleo Mack trade. Um, so it was more like building this defense in his vision. And they fell short in a lot of the same ways that they had before. Obviously, not having Joey Bosa for the majority of the year, that's going to drastically impact your defense. Um, Jason Jackson got hurt too, but he wasn't playing well before he got hurt. Yeah. So, you know, I just think that, you know, those are two teams that you're kind of out of out of excuses. And the AFC is going to be a freaking gauntlet. And there's not going to be any time to just like feel your way through this and let's see if the Kellen Moore thing is going to work and it might take some time. No, there is no time. There's going to be no, uh, you know, easing into anything in the AFC. And um, so I think those are two really, really, really good choices. Um, the Brown situation is interesting and it's all, it's still really weird to talk about. And I think, I think a lot of us in NFL media are having, well, I'm grappling with it. I don't know if all my colleagues are of like exactly how to just like keep like talking about the Browns as an offense and Deshaun Watson as a football player and like analyzing him when we had this really small sample size from last year, everything that's still going on. I mean, he still has an active lawsuit. Um, It's really hard to talk about and to just kind of figure out the right way to say it. But the fact is, is that once he came back last year, they were bad. He was bad. They were a bad offense. And they were one of the best five offenses, one of the best five, six efficient offenses in the league when Jacoby Brissett was the quarterback last year. They finished eighth, and in part because of how bad Deshaun Watson was down the stretch with a couple of real stinkers of games. And here's why I think that it's important to talk about Deshaun Watson in this context. The Browns can't fire Deshaun Watson. Mm-hmm. Deshaun Watson has a fully guaranteed contract. If the offense falls short again and he falls short of expectations again, the guy calling the offense and the guy in charge of getting this thing steered in the right direction, they can fire him. And I think that's the difference here. So that's a consideration. And another thing is the owners make these decisions. The owners are the ones that ultimately pull the trigger here. And if you look at the amount of resources both of these teams have spent over the last couple of years, the Browns have spent more cash than any team in the league this season on their roster. They converted all of Deshaun Watson's 
base salary into a signing bonus, and they've spent that money. They went out and got Dalvin Tomlinson. They traded for Amari Cooper last year. They signed Darius Smith. They've spent so much on this roster because they're in win-now mode. You think about all the win-now moves that they've made over the last two years. There's an urgency there. Jimmy Haslam yesterday, and he told Jory Epstein from Yahoo, said, the expectation, I'm not saying the expectations aren't high. I'm just not going to draw a line for you as to where they are. They are high. That's all you need to know. The owner coming out and saying that explicitly on, on the second day of training camp. So the amount of cash they have spent on the roster and the amount of win now moves that they've made, there is absolutely urgency there. And again, you cannot fire Deshaun Watson if he plays poorly again, but you can move on from the head coach. And I think the head coach knows that those expectations are in place. And then you look resource wise at what the Chargers did. The Chargers historically don't throw a lot of money around. They were seventh in cash spending in 2022. They spent $140 million in cash on their defense last offseason. That was number one in the league by far. Only three other teams in the league were above $125 million. So that, that's the gap between the Chargers and everybody else. And this year, they're spending $122 million against the cap on their defense. It's 54% of their salary cap. That's the highest in the league, and no other team is above 52%. So like you alluded to, this defense and this team in general has been made in Brandon Staley's image. And at a certain point, the results need to be there on defense and then on offense after the change that you made at the coordinator. And I think that everyone understands that. You know, I'm in LA right now. I don't think anyone overhearing what I'm saying would be surprised by the tone or, or the subject matter, uh, because I think that's exactly what the feeling is around this team right now. All right. You ready to move on to my, uh, Let's get your my next, next one. guy? Let's do it. My next guy or guys. All right. I'm going to lump two guys together. We just lumped two guys together. We're kind of cheating with this list here, right? That's um, all right. So I've got the two quarterbacks who did get paid this offseason, and that's Jalen Hurts and Lamar Jackson. I'm lumping together because they did get just get paid this year, but I think both of them are in really, really interesting positions this year. Um, Jalen Hurts, because this time last year, I'd love to go back and like just re-listen to everything that we were saying about Jalen Hurts, like the the first or the last week of July. Well, I would guarantee you he was on this show last year for the exact reason that you're talking about. It's because he had a, so much on the line. Yeah, I mean, because they were the Eagles were actively trying to get a lot of other quarterbacks, you know, they were in that Russell Wilson sweepstakes that offseason and so many questions about like, is this going to be our guy? And to his credit, he answered like every single one of those questions, right? I mean, what he did last year. Even better than you could have imagined. Oh, absolutely. Exceeded every single expectation. I think that even the most optimistic Jalen Hurts fan, like I'm sure if you gave Howie Roseman true serum, like what we said, what we got out of Jalen Hurts in 2022 was better than anybody could have imagined. But now he's being paid like a franchise quarterback and they are now kind of building this team around him. They brought back some of these old guys, these guys that are all coming back for their 10th year or whatever. Um, this is Jalen Hurts' team now, right? I mean, they have built this roster around him. He's getting paid like a franchise quarterback, um, you know, new offensive coordinator, there's going to be changes on defense and everything. But like, I'm just so fascinated at the change where you go from being a guy a year ago who there were almost no expectations, right? Like best case scenario was that this guy would be a competent to good NFL starter. Nobody could imagine that he was going to be MVP candidate and Super Bowl, you know, basically a defensive holding play away from winning the Super Bowl. So I just think that the stakes for this guy now with a team that is built to win a Super Bowl in a wide open NFC, what does he do for that second act? Um, you know, there's the, the, if there's any regression, and it'd be understandable if there is regression, right? 
Um, the rest of the NFL is probably, and the NFC especially, spent a lot of time probably trying to figure out how do we stop that offense? How do we stop him? So I'm just, I, I, I just think it's such an interesting spot for who he's going to be and now who the Eagles are going to be around him. Uh, what I think is at stake for him and Lamar Jackson is not the same as some of the other guys that we're going to talk about here. It's not their futures. You know, These guys already got paid. They're going to be the quarterbacks of their respective teams for the next few years. What's at stake for Jalen Hurts and Lamar Jackson is their standing among quarterbacks in the league. You know, Jalen Hurts, what's at stake this year is him elevating himself to be one of the best four or five quarterbacks in the NFL and every single list that you look at in the offseason. I think that a lot of people, we did, you know, we'd rank quarterbacks on this show. Everyone else did theirs this offseason. ESPN, I think he was outside the top seven, you know, something like that. And that shit doesn't matter really. But I think it's interesting when you think about the perspective and the reputation that these guys have. So do, by the end of the year, are we looking at each of these guys and saying, this is one of the best non-Mahomes quarterbacks in football, or are they kind of lingering somewhere there around the back half of the top 10 because they fell short of what we put on them this year? And with Lamar, I think that part of those expectations that we have for 2022 or 2023 are rooted in Todd Monken and some of the changes that they've made and the theoretical ceiling that now comes with what that offense might look like. Yeah, I'm just I'm excited to see him. I mean, last year there was just so many like so many like dark clouds, right? Over a season there was he was dealing with injuries. There was all the weird stuff that happened at the end of the year where he wasn't playing. What was was he hurt? How badly was he hurt? Is he going to games? Is he not even at the stadium? There was just all that stuff, everything going on with the contract. And now we can put that all, all of that stuff now into the past and look at, okay, well, what is this version of Lamar Jackson going to be? Um because and I I'm sure I've said this on the show multiple times when you are in a stadium with Lamar Jackson like he is just so captivating like there is nobody else like him in the NFL like he is one of the few players I've ever seen who like will take your breath away because you just watch him and you go I have never seen anybody do that on a football field before and I want that guy back I want that guy back for 17 games I want to have that feeling again of look at this guy taking over the NFL and he now has the contract he has in theory an offensive coordinator who will hopefully design an offense that's a little bit better suited for him will let him show off his skills hopefully this wide receiver core is a little bit better. Um, so I just I think he's at a really, really pivotal moment in his career. And too often when we're talking about this quarterback and balance between the AFC and the NFC, he's almost the guy that kind of gets like forgotten almost, you know, we're, we're, we're racing through Mahomes and Allen and Burrow and Herbert. And then it's like, oh, yeah, the former league MVP Lamar Jackson is there too. So um, I, ju- That's I just what I was alluding so to, to watch is that I- where do they belong in that conversation? Yeah. That's what's yeah. at stake for them this season. Is it their place at the table when we're discussing those quarterbacks? And I think that the way that Jalen Hurts played last year, if he can continue to play that way, he probably deserves does deserve to be there. And Lamar, we've seen the heights that he can reach. So I think that's a good one. I, I wouldn't have thought of them, but I think if we're thinking about stakes in a slightly different way and framing it in a slightly different way, you could put both of them on there. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. 
is as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big juicy investment. Mmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. All right, my next one was going to be Mike McCarthy, but it, I think everyone is just talking about Mike McCarthy potentially getting fired this year. And let's let's be clear. He probably should be a part of this conversation. But, Similar but he, to and he put this all on himself, right? I mean, he exactly. put this pressure on himself. Exactly. When we're talking about the same thing that we discussed to a certain extent with what Brand Staley did with Kellen Moore, ironically, and what Stefanski did with Joe Woods. When you make a change on your staff and you say, all right, this guy that was successful in Kellen Moore's situation, I'm going to be the one now who's overseeing this offense. I'm going to dictate how this is going to go. That's putting the bullseye right on your back. And that's what Mike McCarthy has done. You know, they were fourth in points per game last year. They were first in 2021. They were fifth last season in EPA per play when Dak was on the field. And Mike McCarthy said, you know what? I'm good. It's going to be me and Braden Schottheimer. We're going to figure this thing out. And there's a lot of risk that comes with that. But I honestly want to pivot the conversation a little bit and the focus a little bit to Jerry Jones more specifically. Okay, Jerry Jones is 80. This feels like a very important season for the Cowboys. Uh, Not long before we started recording the show, they gave Trayvon Diggs a five-year, $97 million extension that is going to make him one of the highest paid corners in the league. Stephen Jones, I believe, on day one of training camp, was talking about other guys that might be in line for contracts. He mentioned C.D. Lamb's name, who's going into the final year of his deal next year, and he'll be looking to get paid. Terrence Steele is going to be a free agent. They mentioned his name as well. Tyron Smith is no longer going to be under contract next year, so they don't have another tackle, even if they're moving Tyler Smith to one of those spots. So do you have to pay Terrence Steele? Zach Martin is going to be 33 years old. The Cowboys have drafted very, very well for a while now. But eventually, those hot streaks run out. Ask any GM, ask any front office in the NFL that's had a really good run of luck in the draft. That's hard to sustain. So a lot of this cheap talent that they've accrued over the last several years, three, four, five, six years, a lot of those guys are going to get expensive here very quickly. And maintaining this roster is going to get more difficult. So this year, this team that they have... And Jerry said it yesterday, there is real urgency here. And I think that there should be, because I think that they have a real shot with this group. And if they fall short, what does that mean for an 80-year-old Jerry Jones and his ability to put together a championship caliber roster in his few final years as an owner? So I think he has a ton at stake with this version of the Dallas Cowboys because of what this window looks like. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of, you know, you talk about, you know, there is this window and because the NFC is we just said it with the Eagles, right? The NFC is wide open. I think there's three Absolutely. teams that are kind of at the top there. Eagles, Niners, Cowboys. I think there's a couple other teams that would like to think they're in that mix too. Giants, Vikings, the Seahawks. There's, Seahawks. Probably a hand- there's probably a handful of them. But it's so interesting to think about the like the future or this, you know, the immediate future for the Cowboys and all the ways that this could play out and the ways that it could go really well, that Dak has the type of season that he we all think is possible for him if everything goes right for him. Um, injuries, all of those type of things. But like, you know, Mike McCarthy, not, you know, Mike McCarthy kind of reverting to like old, boring Mike McCarthy, like all the ways that this could go wrong. And then what does Jerry do? And, you know, is does he 
keep Mike McCarthy around? Does he want to start over? If he does make a new hire, who would, would, who would he hire? I mean, he's only had a couple coaching searches, hasn't been the most inspired hiring. Um, last time, is it a Dan Quinn situation? I don't know. I just think he's an interesting guy to put there because, you know, he's, a lot of times when we're talking about stakeholders, it's like guys who could get fired or lose their jobs. And that's not going to happen to Jerry Jones, right? I mean, that's not going to happen. But when we're talking about legacy and windows and time to win and the way that we view your place in the league, there's no question about his impact on the NFL. But it's time for him to like win something, right? That's absolutely right. I mean, think about it. The last time this team went to an NFC Championship game, a Super Bowl, was 25 years ago. It's been a long time, and I think a lot of Jerry Jones's reputation over the last two decades has been of someone that's done as much damage to the Cowboys' Super Bowl chances and some of the frivolent moves that they've made as he's done in a positive way. And I think that him have his lasting image as an NFL owner being holding that Lombardi trophy in his 80s and that being one of the last kind of pictures we have of Jerry Jones as you know his tenure ends with this franchise, I think changes his legacy, changes the way that he's remembered compared to how it is right now. And I think he probably knows that. And I think that's why there is maybe a little bit more urgency than there might have been in years past. All right, who's your next one? All right, I'm going to go with a guy who's been talked a lot about on this feed. So I don't know how much time we have to spend going into everything about him. But with the news that came out today that Brock Purdy has been cleared for training camp and has no like physical restrictions beyond a pitch count, this is such an interesting year for Kyle Shanahan for what his offense is going to look like, what his quarterback development model is going to look like, who the Niners are going to be uh, with a new defensive coordinator. So I'm putting Kyle Shanahan as like most at stake this year because this is such an interesting kind of potential pivot point for him and this quarterback odyssey, like the journey to figure out who his quarterback is going to be, what his ideal quarterback looks like. Um, I'm just I'm just really fascinated about what's going to go on there at that position and what it's going to mean for him kind of in his place as a head coach and a play caller. And is this finally the year that, you know, they've been so close. They've been so close so many times that it's been derailed by one thing or another, whether it's, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo's kind of hitting his ceiling at the worst times, whether it was... Brock Purdy's run ending in the NFC Championship game last year. Although I still think the Eagles probably would have won that game even if Brock Purdy had played the whole game last year. But I I just think Kyle Shanahan is at such a fascinating point. I don't think he's a guy who's in danger of losing his job, but he is at a really, really, really fascinating point right now. And I have him firmly on that list of most interesting stakeholders for this season. Last year, D'Amico Ryans was still the defensive coordinator. You know, there was an expectation that they would be able to carry over the defensive success that they had had under Robert Sala and essentially over the last several years in San Francisco. Steve Wilkes coming in there, I think there's more of a question about whether this defense is going to be able to play at a championship level consistently. A bigger question than it's been uh, since this team got to the Super Bowl in 2019, since this version of the Niners kind of crystallized. And I think that puts even more onto Kyle Shanahan's plate. And think about what we were discussing last summer at this time. It was how much was on Kyle Shanahan because of how much his staff had turned over. All the guys that were his lieutenants for so long were no longer around for him to bounce things off of. And this year, it happened again. Bobby Slowick was the passing game coordinator last year and was kind of his right-hand guy, and now he's the offensive coordinator in Houston. So now even the one person that had spent multiple years on that Niners staff that could kind of be a confidant and be a partner in how they devised that offense, even he's gone now. 
now the offensive staff is two Kubiaks, Chris Furster, who's still been there as the offensive coordinator, but guys on the like actual schematic passing side of it, that has been completely turned over. So yet again, it's asking so much of Kyle Shanahan to kind of be the architect and the brainchild of that offense compared to what it looked like year in years past. He is clearly up to the challenge. He was up to it last year, but it still feels like with D'Amico Ryan's leaving and again, more attrition happening on that staff with each consecutive year more and more gets placed on Kyle Shanahan to keep the 49ers at that kind of peak and at that place in the pecking order in the NFC. Yeah. I mean, this, this time last year, it was all about Trey Lance and now he's like an afterthought, which is just, which is just really wild. So it's made me spend a lot of time thinking about like, who is a Shanahan quarterback? What does a Shanahan quarterback look like? What does Kyle Shanahan even want in a quarterback? You know, I think the answer is Brock Purdy and not Trey Wentz. I think it's somebody who is going to get rid of the ball quickly and get rid of the ball to the guy I tell him to get rid of the ball to, which is fascinating. So speaking of young quarterbacks drafted in, in 2021, my next guy on the list here is Justin Fields. We're talking about Jalen Hurts and where he was at on July 25th of last year. I think it's pretty similar to where Justin Fields is right now. The Eagles had two first-round picks in this year's draft, and we all knew that. And was we were thinking about the expectations that have been kind of heaped onto Jalen Hurts and the pressure. That's where Justin Fields is now. The Bears have two first-round picks heading into next season. This regime and Ryan Poles did not draft Justin Fields. They, this team, this front office, used a lot of their considerable resources this offseason to surround Justin Fields with the right level of talent to get a sense of who he is by the end of this season. They traded for DJ Moore. They spent a top 10 pick on Darnell Wright. They signed Nate Davison free agency. They used the 32nd overall pick in this year's draft to trade for Trace Claypool. This is it. They've, they've done everything they could to make sure by the end of this year, there are no more excuses personnel-wise for what sort of performance they get out of Justin Fields. And so here we go. I think that they want an answer by season's end. And I think the stakes for Justin Fields are what that answer looks like. Is he going to be the guy that's the future franchise quarterback in Chicago for a very long time? Or is he going to be a guy that they're looking to replace as soon as next spring? And I think both of those realities and both of those timelines are very much in play. Yeah, I, I think it's really, I think it's a really fascinating discussion because, you know, we had it a million times leading up to the draft. What do they want? Who are they going to build around? What is this franchise going to look like? Um, I'm excited about Justin Fields. Is that I, I don't, uh, is that weird? Is that bad? I feel like I've that been so down weird. on the Bears for a long a very time. But human reaction. <laughs> I think it's just hard for me to get there because the <laughs> amount of emotional baggage I would have to yeah. carry up that hill. Yeah, I just I th- I think it's going to be really interesting. And we you know we keep talking right. This all comes back to like your standing as a quarterback. And we do all these rankings, and they hate them, but we love them, and we know they're paying attention to them. Um, wasn't it like the NFL 100 just started and like Justin Fields kind of like squeaked in? He was like in the 80s, it was high 80s or yeah, something. Yeah. Which like he was ahead of Trevor Lawrence, right? I, I think that's about how exciting Justin Fields was last year. I, I, I think that says more about the people doing the voting and what they valued than it does about Justin Fields' actual. Yeah, or there were like a lot league. of a lot of defensive players who like just like gave up a 90 yard run to him or something. We're like, oh yes. yeah, that dude's good. <laughs> or he's he's hard to I, game I, plan. I think for. that's exactly right. Justin Fields had a lot of splashy plays last year, and I think that helps yeah. on a list like that. But I think when maybe the Bears they, were maybe there's some fantasy decision, football players, some some guys the, who picked up Justin Bear- Fields and saved their seasons. Fantasy football. Yeah, th- th- I think that's exactly right. I think a lot of guys are like, "Oh man, Justin Fields was fun last year. I'll put him on here." I, I don't think Ryan Poles is taking into account the NFL 100 when he's going to make this decision next offseason. So I think there's a lot at stake for Justin Fields. And the one other quarterback I kind of wanted to sneak in here. It, it's not. 
one-to-one comparison. I think it's actually very far from one-to-one comparison. But Tua Tagovailoa is heading into the final year of his deal. Next year, in 2024, he's going to be playing on his fifth-year option. If he has a crazy season this year, where he stays fully healthy, you know, they win the AFC East, maybe they win the AFC. Like, there's a ton of talent on the Dolphins. And that reality, I don't think, is that far off. He could be in for a huge extension that prevents him from being a lame duck quarterback heading into 2024. Like, it's not crazy for me to imagine that. But there's also a chance that he gets hurt again. And then the Dolphins are sitting here next offseason saying, we've got all this talent on the roster. We have to do what we can to maximize this. And then he's fighting to even be their starting quarterback next year. So him getting paid $45 million a year or him not being the Dolphins starter, I think both of those things are potential realities. And that is about as much you can have in terms of determining stakes before a season starts for one single player. There's a chance that even if he had that season, that magical season, they'd be comfortable kind of rolling into that final year of his deal, being willing to use the franchise tag just because of his injury history. But I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up having a great, great year and he earns himself a lot of money. All right. So I tried really hard to put somebody like a defensive player or a defensive coordinator on this list. I was trying really, really hard. I, I promise. Like I was going through, I was I was thinking really hard about Aaron Donald. I think I might have even texted you Aaron Donald about this because like there the Rams are such a weird place. You're gonna have the best, the best player, pure player in football and potentially one of the worst teams in the NFL, a guy who's considered retirement very seriously in recent years. What motivates him? What's he gonna look like? And then I was like, I gotta stop overthinking this. And it's both the Packers and Aaron Rodgers have to be on this list. And I've been going back and forth if it's like, should it just be Rodgers? Should it just be Brian Gutekunst? Is it Jordan Love? But I think like we kind of just have to lump them all together because their fates are going to be so intertwined, right? Brian Gutekunst is a great one. I'm kind of bummed I didn't think of it. Because he just, you know, I mean, they they kind of walked into this, right? I mean, he made this decision of saying, we're going to move on into this next phase. Also put themselves in a really weird challenging financial situation by giving Rodgers the contract last year that they gave him that kind of set all of this stuff in motion where you had to make a choice this year. You couldn't really move forward with both Rodgers and Jordan Love in 2023 and really kind of just spurred this whole thing on. And all of the like, he didn't answer our calls or I could only FaceTime him and we can't get hold. all of that stuff that went on is going to just percolate on, you know, behind the scenes for everything this happens that happens this year. And um, we're going to talk a little bit more about Broncos here in just a second. Spoiler alert, we wouldn't have a podcast together without talking about the Broncos a little bit. But like, I do look at it through the lens of like, what happened in Denver last year? And like, who won the trade? And, you know, people in Green Bay, are they celebrating Rogers? Are they booing Rogers? Um, you know, is, are, who's going to win this whole thing? So I just, I'm lumping them all together. And, you know, that entire Packers organization has, I think, a lot at stake is they just walk into this like wilderness, this quarterback wilderness that they've never been in or they had they haven't been in for 30 years, just not knowing if this guy is going to be good or not with Jordan Love. Um, you know, and then Rogers kind of at this point where he's got a lot to prove. I think personally, you know, he's in a new place, he's in a new city, a new media market. Um, he's gonna be uh, all over television, whether he likes it or not. And please, hard knocks, show us the good shit. Don't don't give in to Rogers and edit out all the good stuff. <laughs> Show us the good stuff. But I'm just throwing all of them in there because I just think they all are going to be, they're going to be some of the people and the teams that define this season for good or for good or bad. 
think about what your experience could be this season if you're Brian Kunkunst. If Aaron Rodgers is terrible, okay, or if he even has a mediocre season, and Jordan Love is great, think about what you are to the people of Wisconsin on that timeline. Now imagine the other side, where Rodgers is an MVP candidate again, and Jordan Love plays terribly. Those are two very different experiences if you're the Packers GM, and I think both of them are on the table. So that's why I think he's a fantastic entry into this list. Because they're like a contender. I mean, they should be in the mix in the NFC, right? And we talk about the NFC and having no favorites. I think they could they be sh- if he's good. They have a lot of talent. You know, they're very young on offense. I think that that's my only concern is that even at their pass catching spots, they're very, very young. So if the defense is really good because they have all that talent on that side of the ball and it finally clicks for them, I think that they could be interesting. I just feel like even if love is good, that there's so much uncertainty with some of the big pieces on that offense. You know, how good is Christian Watson in year two? What do they get from Romeo Dobbs? What do they get from the young tight ends? So again, there's a timeline there where the Packers are right in the mix in the NFC if the quarterback plays really well. But I think that there's a lot of uncertainty with that situation. I did have one defensive player. Okay. What about Chase Young? Chase Young is hitting free agency next year. They declined his fifth year option. Chase Young is going to be 25 years old heading into the 2024 season. If Chase Young is somehow like a 10 sack guy this year, if he's healthy and he plays really well, he's 25 and a guy with that pedigree and those sort of physical tools, what does he get in free agency if he gets 10 sacks? Alex Alex Highsmith just got 17 million a year from the Steelers. That's what Chandler Jones got per year in free agency. Randy Gregory got $14 million a year after not having a great track record with Dallas and a huge backlog of production. So Chase Young having a really good season and Chase Young having a forgettable season could be the difference in him getting $30 million guaranteed on a multi-year extension, you know, the Hassan Reddick contract, the Trey Hendrickson contract, whichever one you want to point to, or him being on a one-year prove-it deal that pays him a third of that. And that's a lot at stake, $15, $20 million in one single offseason. So I wanted to throw him on there because of all of the guys hitting free agency next year, I just think that he's in the biggest position to really cash in if things go well. But I think there's so many questions about what might be standing in the way of that. Yeah, and I think, you know, I to look even more broadly at like Washington too, they're going to be in a really, really interesting spot next offseason. Sam Howell? Because, um, yeah, quarterback. Who's going to be your quarterback? Um, I think there's probably a lot of people in that building from front office all the way down that are wondering, will I have a job here? What is the future of this organization going to look like? Um, It hasn't been a destination for free agents for a long time. They've had a really hard time getting guys to sign there. They not even to the point like they haven't had to do, do the Jacksonville thing where they just overpay people. It's just like they're not they're just like not getting good free agents. Um you know, would they want to spend a lot of money, the new ownership? And is Chase Young a guy they would want to spend money on to keep? Or do you start fresh? New, you know, new everything, start fresh. So they're going to be a you really probably interesting... probably mention Ron Rivera here too. Yeah. I mean, he may be coaching yeah. for his job and for his future with that organization. So I think there's just a lot of uncertainty there, but he was the guy that jumped out to me. Who's your next one? Um, all right. So I think that's my last, my last guy on the list. I think we're here, right? So um, let's talk about Russell Wilson. Right. And I don't want to really want to talk about I don't I don't really want to talk about like, let's fix Russell Wilson. What is Russell Wilson's offense going to look like? There is nobody in the league whose like personality and like reputation took a bigger hit last year than Russell Wilson. Um, So I just want to see if like this guy I don't 
even want to say like, can he be cool again? But he can he just get back to the point where he's no longer like the NFL's punching bag? And uh, can he play well enough where we don't care if he's cool? Yeah, I think that right? is a more important question than whether he can yeah. be cool again. Because he's never going to be cool, and that's fine. I don't think he wants like I'm not I don't think either. he really wants Sometime, to be cool. That's okay, right? Like, I mean, but it's, I was driving around the other day here in Denver, and there was like an entire segment about like the future diss tracks versus the Russell Wilson Instagram post or the hashtag dad life. And it's like, it's fascinating to me, but also really weird. And I just, you know, it got to the point last year, it was just like everybody was piling on him and all the stories and the rumors and the, the you know, the, the exposés and you know, Pete Carroll dunking on him. spots and, and in the building trainers, all, a million all different of that things. Kind of bathrooms, stuff, but, touchdown pass, bathroom counters. But I mean, his reputation took just like such a massive hit last year that I'm just, I think this guy, like this time a year ago, I, I don't want to keep coming back. I hate coming back to everything. What were we saying a year ago? But, but it's, a year important. Ago, it That's, like, it's important to think about it in those terms. But we would like, you know, there was all this stuff like future Hall of Fame quarterback, Russell Wilson. Are those words that like are uttered together anymore? No, right? I mean, I thought it was maybe a little, you know, this just assumption that he would be a hall, you know, he was on this like Hall of Fame trajectory, but like we were talking about Super Bowls and competing with Mahomes in AFC Championship games and, you know, being on that type of all-time great trajectory and by a year later it was like will this guy get benched for Jarrett Stidham by week seven? And he's the corniest dude in the NFL. And like, nobody needs like a reputational upgrade, you know, a makeover more than, than Russell Wilson does right now. I don't think you can have this list without him for the, for those exact reasons. There, there's so much hanging in the balance, the way we talk about him, the way that we think about him. Do the Broncos want to try to see if they can get out of that deal? If he's bad enough, do they pull the ripcord and say, we'll eat the dead money. We don't give a shit. Or does he make every dollar of that over the next couple of years because he's a guy worth investing in again? And thinking about it in the terms of, okay, what were we talking about a year ago at this time? I was at Broncos camp last year. I was there on one of the first days of training camp. The tone in that place, the feeling, the vibes in the crowd, every single bit of optimism you could want surrounding an NFL franchise heading into the season. The feeling that we have pulled ourselves out of the quarterback wilderness. We are no longer in quarterback Siberia because we have found Russell Wilson. I remember talking to, to somebody there with the organization and just asking them, is there anything you're like worried about with this? Was there anything that you thought was a potential downside to the deal? And they were like, no, not really. You know, I felt we feel really, really good about it. It's like, okay, Although that was, all right. That was, to be fair, it was before he got his contract. But you knew that it was coming. It was like a matter of when, not if, that he was going to get paid. But then he got the deal right before the start of the regular season. And that kind of changed the complexion of it just really raised the stakes of like how long term all of this was going to be. And I think that's the one move that it was signing that deal at that time without really knowing kind of what was coming. But yeah, it's it's really interesting because like I've gone to what, 15 years of Broncos camps, one year that there were no fans, well, actually a couple years that there were no fans because they were building, they have this big field house, the years that they were building that that brand new field house, you couldn't have fans in here and obviously 2020 because of the pandemic. But, you know, when it was rocking, the like, you know, the pay, the first 2012 when Peyton Mining first showed up, uh, right after the like Tebow mania season when there was the 2011 camp, but there was a ton of Tebow. I mean, that place was rocking. 
And it's not going to be like that this year. They've limited attendance. Uh, they're saying it's the fire department's decision. But uh, <laughs> I think they're capping it at like 3,000 and capacity is generally like 7,000. So like, it's going to feel very different. And there's no like, let's this, this team is making a Super Bowl. It's like, this is Sean Payton's team. And we're going to see how it goes. And I just for Russell Wilson's sake, I just, I just hope he doesn't have to be the butt of like any every NFL joke and meme. Um, but also, I would like him to help himself. Right? Like, help us help you, Russell Wilson. Don't tell us about doing your knee raises in the aisles of the airplane. And no more subway ads. Yeah. Maybe drop the let's ride. That that has not been out here. I have not seen a let's ride in a while. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Talking about corny quarterbacks, I've got a couple more that I want to hit right now. Kurt, what about Kirk Cousins? Cousins. <laughs> okay, Kirk Cousins is not under contract for next year. The the Vikings did not extend him. So, what is Kirk Cousins playing for this year? He'll be thirty six next year. So, if he's a free agent heading into next spring, what does he get if he plays well? If he's a high end quarterback or you know a top half of the league quarterback next season, which he has been, you know, for the last several years. Even if you think Kirk Cousins gives you a defined ceiling, Kirk Cousins has been an above average quarterback for a very long time. If you're a team that needs that sort of quarterback play, what would you give a Kirk Cousins heading into his age 36 season? You know, what sort of seats are there after the season is over? Do the Vikings have one? Do they think, you know, it's worth just kind of rolling with Kirk and continuing this? Or do they say it's time for us to turn the page? I think the latter is probably what they're looking toward. But does he play well enough that he forces their hand? If that to a timeline that we talked about where he gets hurt again and the Dolphins are like, we just need somebody who can be a point guard of this thing. We have so much talent. All we need is consistent quarterback play. That's what Kirk Cousins is. Kirk Cousins has not gotten hurt when he's been a starter. He's been on the field for as long as he's had those jobs. So do the Viking or the Dolphins look at the landscape and say, all we need is average to slightly above average quarterback play and we're a Super Bowl contender. Okay. Is Tampa in a place where they're the rest of their roster is so good that they're looking to microwave their quarterback situation? And do they see him as a potential option to do that? There aren't that many seats. When the music stops, there are so many teams that have committed to quarterbacks or have a young quarterback that I think the options are fairly limited. But if he plays really, really well this year and the Vikings decide to move on, does he earn a $30 million a year starting job for one more contract? And a guy I think is in a slightly similar spot. What happens with Ryan Tannehill? They're almost the exact same age 
Okay, is there a spot for him next year if he plays very well? Does he have one more go of it as a starter? Hypothetically, if Desmond Ritter isn't great for the Falcons, do does Atlanta sit there and be like, you know what? If we had a Ryan Tannehill S quarterback with this supporting cast around him, we could be a contender right now. I don't know. But those are the sort of questions that I think would be beneficial and are the type of questions both of these guys want asked after this season is over. Um my my question or my thing about Kirk that I think is interesting, and this is something that Jordan Rodrigue got into at many, many, many layers and really, really well in the series, the uh, uh, the play callers was like how deep the Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay tentacles now go into the NFL and the guys that have come from that tree and now have spread, they're in like half of the league, more than half of the league at this point. And if you go by the belief that I think is true that Kirk Cousins is kind of like the ideal, like if you were going to like build your AI quarterback for a Kyle Shanahan type of offense, those guys are all over the NFL. So if that guy is a free agent, if Kirk Cousins is a free agent, there's going to be a lot of a lot of teams around the NFL who have their, uh, you know, are part of that tree, that offensive scheme that would say, yep, I'll give that guy $30 million. And Kirk Cousins will continue his reign as like the most underrated NFL businessman of the last decade. So both of those guys, I, I, I'm with you. Like, let's say Rodgers retires. Do the Jets look at Kirk Cousins as a potential option because they just say, we need somebody to play at this level. I think you get a level of certainty with Kirk Cousins, even if that certainty can be a little underwhelming at times. And I think there are teams who might be in a position where that is attractive to them. So I, I'm fascinated to see how that ends up going. I know there, um, the the fun debate on the internet right now is like trying to figure out which quarterbacks are going to be on season two of the quarterback. I kind of want like season two of Kirk Cousins. Um, I'm not sure if I I'm like good. I'm good. I that- I've enjoyed my experience with Kirk. I think he's been, I, I think this has been good for him and good for the way people probably view him, but I think I'm okay. I would do year two so of who, Mahomes, but I, I think I want a different. So uh, who are your, who are your here. dream? Who are your dream three? I think Burrow would be very fun. I, I just want to see like, I, I think Burrow, Allen and like Lamar would be fun. Just like some yeah, of those younger Lamar, guys Lamar who, would who, be who fun. that is at stake. So I, I think those would be interesting. But, but I think Burrow would be the one that I would be most excited about. It's just to be like, kind of get a little bit deeper into like him, what makes him tick, his process, all that kind of stuff. I just, my favorite thing about that series, not to just hijack mm-hmm. this, is that all three of the guys from the first season were like at such different places. And yeah, they, they obviously like, they lucked into getting the Super Bowl. Well, maybe, maybe not lucked into. I'm sure Peyton Manning, Peyton Manning doesn't do anything by chance. Like he, he knew what he was getting when he pitched this to Mahomes. But I really liked that look that we got three guys at different points of their career. So I'd love to see like Bryce Young or CJ Stroud or somebody yeah, who's the, going the through something. Yeah, the rookies would actually be really good. But I don't think there's any way like they'd a, let them do that though. I'm trying to think, or if there's like a second year guy or just like, you know, to get guys that are at three different, you know, three different stages would be, <laughs> give us Mac Jones to, to bring this back Justin to the beginning. Fields, Justin Fields said today they asked him to do it and he just didn't, and he, he didn't no. want to do it. He yeah. didn't want to put that yeah. on it. Yeah. Which I completely understand. I think that there's a lot of these guys who have so much at stake that they wouldn't want that added layer of pressure into coming into this season. So yeah, I hope, uh, um, I hope for like their sake that they can kind of keep it secret during the season that like. Because it seems like a lot of the footage that they got was like NFL film stuff. So like the crews that are already around. And then the other stuff was kind of done in private, like in the, the privacy of their homes or going to their charity events or um, so that it wouldn't become intrusive. And we know if we know anything about Peyton Manning is he's not going to be he's not going to do anything that would make the quarterbacks uncomfortable. Like he respects that fraternity too much. But um, 
I'm fascinated. Like a bunch of these guys. I'd love Jalen Hurts. I think he's so interesting off the field. I would love a season of Jalen Hurts in that role. So I've got one more collection okay. of guys that I wanted to mention before we get out of here. What about all the running backs? Saquon, who signed a one-year extension today. That happened you know, shortly before we started recording. Essentially, this franchise tag with a $1 million bonus and a few more incentives. So uh, not exactly you know changing the context or the framing of the conversation we've been having recently. Josh Jacobs has not reported to camp. And Tony Pollard's on the franchise tag. And guess what? Derrick Henry's a free agent heading into next year. So if these guys all have huge seasons or if one of them does or if a couple of them do, what does their free agency potentially look like? You know, can they get a multi-year deal or, you know, do they get tagged again? You know, if you make $22 million over a two-year stretch guaranteed, if you're Tony Pollard, it's a pretty good chunk of change. So I think that with all these guys on the tag or hitting free agency, they're playing for a lot heading into next year because we could be looking at stopgap deals for them that are five million bucks, or are we talking about the franchise tag or more? Are they making top of the market running back money? So that to me is a lot at stake for that entire collection of players. Yeah, I mean, I know, I know you and Courtney talked about this earlier earlier in the week, um, Courtney Cronin about kind of this running back market and like what's at stake for Ezekiel Elliott and Dalvin Cook and Leonard Fournette and some of these veteran guys that are you know, still out there. Um, I'm just afraid that, you know, we spent so much time over the last week or so talking about this position and the running backs tweeting and then mobilizing and having Zoom calls. And here we are now really on the verge of training camp where most teams either reported today or reporting tomorrow, you know, right now in this window. And like, I'm afraid they've lost this war. And it is really admirable that they are now kind of trying to come together and like fight for the greater good and for themselves, but then also the running backs that are come after them. I'm just afraid it's like too little too late. And that like the rest of us, like the rest of the collective NFL world kind of saw this snowball storming down the hill, becoming an avalanche. And it's not like they've lost it. Like, I just don't know how they get it back and like one off good seasons. I, I just don't know how that kind of changes it. Cause ultimately after all the bluster last week and the tweets and the zoom calls, with the exception of Josh Jacobs, they're all there, right? Austin Eakler's there. Saquon Barkley got a little, you know, one million extra dollars and he's there. Like, there's only so much that, you know, they can talk about all the collective action, but the NFL machine just kind of keeps on grinding up this position. And I don't know. I just don't know how it goes backwards. I don't think that a single good season or even a collection of good seasons from that entire group is going to change this conversation, change the discussion, change the landscape. But I think it could get them one more payday, you know, one more decent payday, whether that's on a multi-year deal for any of them or again, just if that's on a $12 million franchise tag after getting $10 million this year. $12 million compared to three if you're on a one-year stopgap option because you either got hurt or had a shitty season. Nine million bucks is a lot of stakes for me. I'll, I'll tell you that. Maybe not for these guys, but I think that that's a decent amount to be playing for in a single season. All right, Lindsey Jones, that's all we got. Always really good to chat with you. Thank you so much for taking the time. Lovely, lovely to see you too. Great to see you. We will be doing this again very soon, I hope. For now, that is all we've got. We will be back a little bit later this week. I will be back on Friday. Thursday is the return of Football GM. Mike Sando is back from vacation. Him and Randy will be back right in time for the kickoff of training camp. So be sure to tap back in for Football GM this week. A reminder, I tweeted about this, but just be on the lookout for it. Throughout training camp, starting this Saturday, we will be releasing weekly Saturday training camp notebooks from our travels here. We'll be talking to writers from each of the stops. So this Saturday will be the West Coast. 
We're going to talk about the Rams. We're going to talk about the Chargers, the Cowboys, with all of our writers from The Athletic. They're going to be coming away every single Saturday through the end of August, essentially the entire amount of time I'm on the road. So be on the lookout for those in addition to all of the other normally scheduled athletic football show programming. Nate will be back next week, which we're very excited about. But until then, be on the lookout for Football GM on Thursday and a new show from us on Friday. That's all we got for now. Appreciate you guys listening. We'll talk to you soon. This was The Athletic Football Show.